The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thank you very much for, for your practice today. Um, is, is the sound loud enough in the back? No? No? <laughs> um, I'm on mic too. If, uh, thank you very much. Yeah. It should be recording already. How is that? Is that better? Okay. Sorry. I should have had it higher. Well, thank you for your practice today. I feel a little bit self-conscious about going on to give a whole talk as I've been talking all day. Um, and I'd very much like to hear from you, your questions, your, your experience of uh, these instructions. But I will give a little talk first. <laughs> oh. Let go of my self-consciousness, and <laughs> isn't that hard to do? Um, this is a quote from a uh, great Zen teacher, Kovun Chino Roshi. The more you sense the rareness and value of your own life, the more you realize that how you use it, how you manifest it, is all your responsibility. We face such a big task, so naturally we sit down for a while. What I love about this is the idea that sitting, that meditation is not some exotic specialized activity that's creating some exotic specialized experience. But it's the most natural thing. It's the most natural thing to do. That the more we um, sense into, the more sensitive we are to um, the preciousness of life, the precious opportunity we have in this incarnation, in this realm of existence. Um, It's so natural to want to sit and to want to be and to want to, to allow our system to metabolize something, to process. So this idea of sitting practice, of meditation practice, as a natural activity, a natural expression of who we are. Um, I think so much of our everyday life is oriented around doing and oriented around becoming. Um, And that's probably good in some ways, and it's probably needed in some ways. 
Um, and the danger is that our meditation practice, uh, that, that same mentality of, of getting, of improving, of becoming, bleeds in to our Dharma practice. And um, we, we can forget that, as I was saying in the, in the first period of meditation, these qualities of the Dharma, the sanditiko, always present here and now. The Dharma is always present here and now. Um, it's who we are. So we, it's, it's, so we, you know, it's not like we have to go looking somewhere special for it. There's nothing that's not it. There's nothing that's not Dharma. Um, so just that shift, just that idea, at least for me, brings a lot of relaxation. It's like, oh yeah, right. Um, something can soften. And um, so what I was trying to do today is show the connection between the shift from doing to being and connecting this to the Buddha's instructions on anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing. So it involves a little creative editing. (laughs) Not that the Buddha's teachings need to be improved, but sometimes a good copy editor is just, you know. (laughs) So in the classical instructions of mindfulness of breathing, there are 16 steps, 16 um, contemplations called. And they're divided into four sections called, which you call tetrads. And um, <coughs> the first tetrad has to do with calming the body relaxing the body. So it says, breathing in and out, one understands, I breathe in and out long, or I breathe in and out short. Breathing in, experiencing the whole body, breathing in, breathing out, calming the body, calming the bodily activity. And it doesn't mean that if we don't feel calm, we're doing something wrong. You know, it's just suggesting that um, there's probably a deeper degree of ease and calm and well-being than what we ordinarily experience. And in meditating with the breath, with inviting the, the rhythms of the breath into awareness. Um, there's something healing and calming and re- relaxing there. So it's, you know, it's an invitation to explore. And so then we move to the second tetrad, which is um, from calming the body to relaxing the mind, calming the mind. One trains 
I shall breathe in, shall breathe out, experiencing joy, experiencing happiness, experiencing mental activity. And then I shall breathe in and out, calming mental activity. So um, it's interesting that joy, the, the beginning of this second section begins with joy. And how I understand this is that there's a kind of joy that arises from being present and relaxing and calming down. You know, just a simple, you know, it's ordinary. It's just, you know, there's a kind of joy that comes when we can let go of uh, a kind of tightness and tension, agitation. So to really experience that joy, experience that happiness. And then experiencing mental activity, I think, means um, noticing that we're thinking, noticing that we're dreaming, noticing that we're imagining or planning, all these things. And then inviting that movement of mind, that contraction of mind, just relax. to be there for the end of a thought. It's like, so sweet, you know? So, this is calming the mental activity. And then the third tetrad is, has to do with, with I, which I called a unifying body and mind in the heart. And so this is the tetra that has to do with um, concentration, samadhi, this kind of collecting the mind. So it says, one trains, I shall breathe in, shall breathe it out, experiencing the mind, gladdening the mind, concentrating the mind, and then liberating the mind. Um, relaxation of body and relaxation of mind supports concentration. It's easy to think that the way to get concentrated, the way to get still is to kind of, you know, bear down and push. And I certainly um, spent years trying to do that or suffering through that, kind of push. Um, but right here, the Buddha is saying, just you know, step-by-step instructions Relaxation, this sense of ease, this sense of well-being is what supports concentration, supports samadhi. It supports this, this gathering of mind, collecting the mind. And liberating the mind here seems to mean liberating the mind from the hindrances, the kind of uh, habitual, conditioned forces in the mind, compulsions uh, that keep pushing us and pulling us, of grasping and aversion. I want it. I don't want it. So when the mind is liberated from that, it can rest. It can be. It can be unified. And then, then this fourth tetrad, which what we were just practicing 
is this idea of with this stillness, with this sense of composure, and it doesn't have to be a lot. It's not like some outer, out of this world stillness. I mean, just, you know, just a little bit of stillness, a little bit of calm. We can turn the mind to notice change, to notice impermanence. And so these are the, this is the tetrad, the classical liberating reflections. One trains, I shall breathe in and out, contemplating impermanence. I shall breathe in and out, contemplating dispassion. I shall breathe in and out, contemplating cessation. I shall breathe in and out, contemplating letting go. Um, it's like the more, the more we tune in to how things change, the more we perceive impermanence, the less we grasp. It's like, you know, you can't grasp air. You can't hold on to water or air or something. It's, it's, um, I mean, or light, you know. Light, I think, is a great example because light is something that, you know, it's, it's certainly real, real enough, but light is, has no boundary, you know. It's like um, you can't own light. You can't, you can't keep it. Um, so the more the mind sees this, is the very natural kind of stepping back. Um, Dispassion, translated as dispassion, but it's like this fading, fading. Um, And we begin to notice the endings of things, you know. It's very interesting. You might might notice this in your meditation. There may be times when the mind is just noticing how things end, you know? It's like you're tuned in to the end of a thought, the end of a sound, the end of the breath. A great Zen teacher, Suzuki Roshi, said something like, right at the end of the exhalation, at the very end of the exhalation is perfect composure of your mind. You know, it's just, just noticing endings, noticing that things end and you know, I think we often have a complicated relationship with endings. Um, I can't remember who it was, but I saw someone who said to me, I'm not going to say goodbye because I hate endings. <laughs> Just left. <laughs> okay. It's kind of your goodbye. Um, but endings are complicated. And, but like, when, when the mind is very settled and very composed and uh, coursing in the flow of change, 
and endings, rather than being something to fear or something, there's a kind of deliciousness, there's a peace, there's a wondrousness to endings. It's like, ah, you know, it's like, And so contemplating cessation, and then it goes on to contemplating letting go. This is translated as letting go. The Pali word, patinisiga, patinisiga, may be the most important word. I mean, there's many important words, but one of the most important words in Dharma practice, patinisiga, which means relinquishing, giving back letting go, you know. Um, there's a famous, uh, also Zen, Zen saying, Zen teaching, uh, I think it was by Kodo Sawaki Roshi, who said, to gain is delusion, to lose is enlightenment. You know, so this process of letting go, of relinquishing, um, you can look at these 16 steps or these four steps, however you, you think about it, as this gradual relaxing into relinquishing, into letting go. Um, and it's not something that we do. It's not like, I, Mr. Max, blah, 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 let's go now. It's like, no, we just, we just breathe. We just sit. We just walk, and little by little, the Dharma works on us, works through us, and this natural unfolding of, of relinquishment, of, of, of this process. Um, and so, my understanding, another expression of this patinisiga is being. So it's like doing to being. If doing is like the extreme of grasping, being is this open hand, this, this letting be. And, um, and the amazing thing is when we have an open hand, it gets fu- it f- it's full, it's filled up. It's like, you know, it's the opposite of empty. You know, it's, it's, there's room for everything. There's room for everyone. Um, And I think the piece about relaxation and ease is, is really worth exploring. Um, I think in some ways it really uh, goes counter to our protective instinct. Our protective mechanism is I'm gonna wall myself off. I'm gonna protect myself against the world. I'm gonna brace myself like this. I know f- for me, working with my shoulders has been a lifelong practice of, you know, maybe it was like getting hit in the face with a baseball or something, you know, when I was 10 years old, it's like this kind of bracing against the world. And it's physical, you you feel it in the body, you feel the ways that our karma, our conditioning lives in our body. And so this gentle intention to softening, to relaxing, 
it's like it tells when we when we can relax even a little bit it tells the the body mind process that things are okay you know it's safe and only when there's safety can we begin to open up can things begin to unfold safety is really important it's important in communities it's important in our home it's important in our wider society um, and then this idea of the dharma refuge in the dharma as a true safety you know um, we may feel safe in our big car or big house or whatever but things change you know and this this world is is uncertain unpredictable and um, yeah so so finding safety in our practice finding safety in the uh, the peace of letting go the beauty of letting go and then you know who we are can be a gift to others and we're not grasping about them and to fix them or change them or do this it's like you know to meet another being with an open heart and open hands so what a gift um, I was uh, remembering that that someone I know posted a, a study about that like one sure way to be less happy than you ever were is to have children. <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting. It's okay, what's happiness and what's satisfaction? All these questions that people raised. But the person who shared it is a mother and a grandmother. And she said that she suspects that um, if you try to control your children you're going to be very unhappy. <laughs> Especially when they're teenagers, but, you know. Um, but if you... Um, let them teach you what they need and, and nurture them and support them into being who they are. You know, when she was saying parenting can be a lot of fun. Parenting is wonderful. But if you want to, if you want to create, you know, your your vision of something, you know, watch out. Um, so, one of the many blessings of this practice of letting go, of relinquishing, of calming the formations, calming the body, calming the mind, is that um, other people don't have to suffer from our grasping. We probably suffer the most, but sometimes it's a close call. <laughs> the, the other people in our life, and the closer they are to us, the more we're going to inflict our minds on them. So um, to take care of our own mind, to take care of our own heart, it's such a, it's such a gift to ourselves, and it's a gift to others, the people in our life. Um, I wanted to read a poem and finish with this poem 
and uh, and then you kind know, of open it up for for sharing for questions. Um, some of you may be familiar with the poet Mary Oliver, who passed away a few months ago, and she. Uh, My understanding is she wrote this poem soon after learning that she had cancer. You know, and she was, I think she was in her mid-80s when she died. I'm not exactly sure of her age, but... Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Mary Oliver, she is sometimes called the most quoted poet in Dharma talks. <laughs> I don't know if she, how she would feel about that <laughs> distinction. I remember she, you know, when she was a wonderful poet who lived in Cape Cod for many, many years. And about 15 years ago, I was sitting a retreat in Cape, Cape Cod. And the teacher was going to meet Mary Oliver. And um, she, and he, it, was, it was arranged to a Sangha member or something. It was kind of a cool thing because we kind of knew what a great, great person she was. And, and then a day later when I asked the teacher, I said, so how did it go? You know, what was it like to, to meet her? And he said, oh, she had to cancel. Um, she had to stay home and wait for the plumber. <laughs> she was kind of a um, famously known for being introverted, and I don't know what what happened, but I kind of assume maybe she had second thoughts or something. But anyway, this is called the fourth sign of the zodiac. Why should I have been surprised? Hunters walk the forest without a sound. The hunter, strapped to his rifle, the fox on his feet of silk, the serpent on his empire of muscles, all move in a stillness, hungry, careful, intent. just as the cancer entered the forest of my body without a sound. The question is, what will it be like after the last day? Will I float into the sky or will I fray within the earth or river, remembering nothing? How desperate I would be if I couldn't remember the sun rising, if I couldn't remember trees, rivers, if I couldn't even remember, beloved, your beloved name. I know you never intended to be in this world, but you're in it all the same. So why not get started immediately? I mean, belonging to it. There is so much to admire to weep over and to write music or poems about. Bless the feet that take you to and fro. 
Bless the eyes and the listening ears. Bless the tongue, the marvel of taste. Bless touching. You could live a hundred years. It's happened or not. I am speaking from the fortunate platform of many years, none of which I think I ever wasted. Do you need a prod? Do you need a little darkness to get you going? Let me be urgent as a knife then and remind you of Keats, so single of purpose and thinking for a while he had a lifetime. Late yesterday afternoon in the heat, all the fragile blue flowers in bloom in the shrubs in the yard next to the door had tumbled from the shrubs and lay wrinkled and fading in the grass. But this morning, the shrubs were full of the blue flowers again. There wasn't a single one on the grass. How, I wonder, did they roll back up to the branches, that fiercely wanting, as we all do, just a little more of life. One of the things I love about this is the the affirming of life in the midst of impermanence, in the midst of uncertainty. It's it's there's grief, there's loss, there's pain, but there's also so much to admire, so much to appreciate. Um, fiercely wanting, as we all do, just a little more of life. And I think one of the uh, blessings of practicing with impermanence and relaxing with impermanence is that it can give us an acute appreciation of life, um, of the preciousness, this rare and precious opportunity. As Kobanchino says, the more we sense the rareness and value of our own life, how we use it, how we manifest it, is completely our responsibility. Um, We naturally sit down. We naturally want to savor. We naturally want to bow, you know, bow to the ground, you know, becoming the earth, merging, returning. Um, so. so thank you very much for your practice. Now it's your turn, (laughs) if anyone feels like speaking after.
this silence. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, okay, thank you very much, Kristen. Yeah. So you're very welcome to share, you know, how you're doing, how you're feeling, uh, your experience of today, um, any questions you might have about the instructions or comments or your <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> I feel like I'm not even going to turn the microphone up. You know, I've had this, all right, I'll turn it on. I've had this kind of unusual thing when I'm meditating. It Actually, when I start to get relaxed, it feels like someone's pushing me forward. And I keep falling forward, and then I have to, like, almost push against it. And I, I'm not sure what that's about or what, I, I feel like, probably do nothing and it'll go away but it's been going on for like three months or something do you but it's not sleepiness it's not like you're it it might be like but it but it feels really like someone's pushing though not Mm. just that i'm kind of dropping down Mm. Um, i'm not sure exactly yeah i you know, does it, you know, does it happen when you sit in a chair or not as much? Yeah, no, it actually was. Oh, it does happen yeah, when you're in a chair. It, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, sometimes I feel like maybe I should just give in to it and drop down. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, sometimes when there's a physical manifestation of something, like I had a friend who had these real involuntary movements in in meditation and at some point he decided to just give over to them, you know, and, and then they really started to get bigger and exaggerated. And, but there was something that was released that way and it was able to kind of eventually kind of return to stillness, but it was almost like his body needed to, to, to move it through, work something through. Um, the thing that occurs to me is child's pose. I don't know if you ever do that, but you know, it's kind of, you know, it's like going down. Maybe there's something in this of, of surrender, total release of surrender, of merging with the ground, you know, and it's such a restorative healing pose. So, you know, play with it and, 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 and yeah, and, and listen to it and see what is it, you know, what is, what is what is this saying? What's, what's the message here? Because I think there's something there. And I wouldn't treat it as a mistake or a problem or anything like that. But just to get curious. And, uh, yeah. Thank you, Max. Um, and thank you, everybody. My name is Jordan. Um, yeah, thanks to everyone for being here. And I always real, feel real supported 
you know, with everyone here on these day-longs. Um, yeah, today I had, you know, a little bit of struggle, but um, working through it, get a sense of well-being um, towards the end of the sessions, and that's always really nice to experience. Um, but um, I came to a day-long with Gil one time, and it was very similar. And um, at the end, he kind of said, I would give you a contemplative question. What should you, what would be wise to let go of? What would be wise to relinquish? And um, I think about that a lot every day. Um, kind of whenever things get a little too much or I get overwhelmed, um, I think about that. And I always come up with new answers. And um, so I guess the short answer would be a lot, (laughs) you know. But um, I think it's a good thing to think about, you know, on a day-to-day basis for me. So thank you, Max. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Max. Um, I haven't been many day-longs before, so I just realized how powerful it is. It brings me back retreat energy and really miss the retreats I had with Max. that's really nice. Thank you. And I do have a question. So, um, you mentioned just in Dharma talk. You mentioned dream, dream, and imagination. And I think before I never, I always thought of dreaming that we're daydreaming, just imagining different things. Um, but today, during the set, I felt like I was really dreaming. <laughs> I I was a little sleep-deprived last week, but I wasn't sure whether I was dreaming or... I don't think I was asleep, so it was just a weird state. Images would come up and really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> It feels like dreaming, so I don't know how common that is. So I try to focus on my breath, as like counting my breath. But then, at the same time, I felt like I was dreaming. Um, so I would open up my eyes occasionally, just look at the carpet. And... After each sit, when I open my eyes, I always feel, ah, oh, this feels so nice, as if that like, didn't happen. It's just another sit. So I don't know. <laughs> a little confused what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, I don't know exactly what, you know, what you're experiencing, but I think... Uh, 
I've definitely noticed, and I think it's common for in meditation, it's like different boundaries start to relax, different boundaries start to dissolve. And one of the boundaries maybe that starts to soften is the boundary between the kind of conscious mind and the unconscious, you know. So sometimes when people go on meditation retreats, they have pretty out there dreams, really vivid dreams, or, um, and um, yeah, so like the ordinary, the, I think the ways that we mark ordinary perception um, and the, the ways we mark time start to kind of float a little bit and be in, in and so um, sometimes they can see, you know, there's all kinds of uh, ways that perception can al- get altered, you know, basically. And um, so I, you know, I, I would take it as a good sign and, and just, you know, stay mindful, stay aware. Um, you know, it's one thing, um, you know, for sure there's a lot of daydreaming too that we, we, we can we can do and um, the the imagery or the metaphor of dreaming and waking up is very central to Dharma practice as you know. And um, there's this this reformulation of the Four Noble Truths which I, I always comes always comes to my mind, I always enjoy. But it's it's something like caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering. Then holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Um, Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. And being just this moment, compassion's way. And anyway, it's a, that's a whole other talk, but it, (laughs) which it could give, no, but I won't. Um, But it, um, this idea of we wake up from a self-centered dream, but what we wake up into is this dream-like, ephemeral existence, this dream-like world of impermanence. So we wake up from the dream of permanence, the dream of myself and the center of everything, but we sort of wake up into a dream as well, or this dream-like life. So. Um, dreaming is good. <laughs> dreaming, dream, there's all there are, you know, in one way of thinking, all there is are dreams, you know. And so to see that it's a dream, you know, we, ca- we can't stand outside of experience. There's no objective place to stand and to say, now I'm outside and I'm seeing it as it really is. We're always in some kind of dream. That's, that's what I think. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're good. Thank you, Max. I just learned so much from you. It's just amazing um 
Um, you said something, and I didn't know if you could add a little bit to it because I just, I, again, I just learned so much from you. So your perspective is really uh, is amazing. But I don't know if you can say more. You said um, endings are delicious. Endings, and I'm so afraid of endings, or I know mm. that that's so mm-hmm. hard for me. I remember in 1976, because it was bicentennial year, I was freaking out that it was going into the past, and I was at midnight trying to make it stay this big. I don't. I, I mean, all through my life, endings have just been like terrifying, and so I'm so intrigued. How can I start to play with that idea that they they can't be delicious? Because I think that would be very helpful. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I mean, it can be, and I can completely relate to what you're saying in your experience. And and I think that this, you know, and that you intuit that, I mean, this could be a kind of life-changing practice, you know. Um, The idea is that in meditation, and when we're pretty settled, and the mind is, is, is calm, and there's a kind of refinement of awareness, Um, we start to notice that it's almost like any movement of mind is agitating. You know, the more tuned we are into stillness, it's like the more still we are, the more we can perceive change. If If we're really, if the mind is really bouncing around, it's, you know, things seem very solid. The more still we are, the more still the mind is, we can perceive change. And we can perceive the sort of, the, the, the subtle, um, or not so subtle, suffering in that change. And so there's almost like this, this biological imperative, this biological movement towards more stillness. It's not a grasping, but it's like just inclining, the mind inclines towards more stillness. And so um, what's delicious is the stillness. And then so there's something that comes in and stirs things up, and then it ends. And when it ends, there's stillness again. And it's like, so that ending, you start to kind of almost like associate that ending with this with this calm, with this stillness. And, you know, it's a play with it. It's something to play with. And it's, you know, we're not going to feel this way about every single ending that's in our life or that we ever encounter. Um, but just to, just to realize that there can be moments when we're so in tune with stillness that we're like, yeah, endings are not only... Uh, not always scary, but sometimes they're they're so peaceful, they're so beautiful, um, and yeah. Anyway, that's that's kind of the way I relate to.
to share how much I appreciate being able to come to these day-longs, even though I only came for the second half. Um, maybe two pieces that were really um, beautiful for me today. I think practicing together is really powerful. Um, if I were to do this at home, I probably wouldn't make it this long. Um, I was outside doing some walking um, in between a few of the sits and the wind was blowing and there was just this sense of, Max, you mentioned the blurring of the boundaries. There was this sense of being just not in, not in my own little self anymore, but just in that wind and in this whole street and just a beautiful moment. And um, another kind of powerful and wonderful um, thing about this practice is I came because I have all this stuff going on in my life like we all do and I was like oh did I make the right decision there and And I came and I just sat and um, I know Gil has said something about um, meditation dissolves your problems rather than solve them and it kind of felt like that you know like it it was probably still there but just didn't matter anymore as much. So thank you all for creating this space. Thank you. Thank you to each of you. Thank you very much for for today. And, you know, I hope you, um, I hope each of us can continue this practice. And I trust each of us will continue this practice in in however we um, receive it and metabolize it and bring it into our being, into our body, into our our life. And um, I think this world needs more um, rest and it needs more stillness and more kindness and and love and compassion. So um, thank you.